Swanson to first. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are Super Bowl 55 champions, led by Tom Brady. The long wait has ended after a half century. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions once again. And Lightning has struck twice. And the Tampa Bay Lightning are back-to-back Stanley Cup champions. Well, hello there. Episode number 87 of Four Future Considerations. I'm sure Matt will have a jersey number that uh, he can tell us in a few minutes. But uh, Grey Cup weekend is coming up, guys. I know this is very exciting for all of us. We'll all be watching every second of the action. Matt, Manny, how are you guys doing? Gronk, baby. Episode 87, Gronk, baby. Yes. And a football guy, too, to boot. Although I'm trying to remember. A real football player. I'm trying to remember a good CFL guy who wore 87. Milt Stiegel? Did he wear 87? I don't know. It's the only wide receiver I could think of. <laughs> well, now i got to look that yeah, up. Yeah, you're going to have to check now. I think Milt Stiegel was like 85. Uh, okay. First guy who comes up is Chad Owens. Montreal Alouettes. You're Montreal Alouettes, Matt. Never heard of him. <laughs> We could have gone with Sid the Kid, but what's the point at 87? For a football show? Sure. <laughs> That's right. This is our second show of the week. Our first episode, as always, is our debate show where we talked about a number of different topics. Oh my God, you name the sport. Hockey, football, baseball, table tennis, music. <laughs> Go back and listen to episode 86. It may not have been all those sports I named, but a lot of them are covered in episode 86. So go back and take a listen to that. <laughs> when we got on to lawn darts, I thought that was really I'm weird, telling but... you, the, the, P, the PLD is, uh, is a great league. <laughs> the Professional Lawn Darts League is amazing. <laughs> the TDLL, yeah. <laughs> or the PLDL. <laughs> that just we doesn't sound right right that sounds like it should be on for future considerations after dark what about the the frisbee golf league you guys follow that one that's a that's a pretty good league actually and i'm still the champion in the world balloon championship so yeah <laughs> we touch on everything Literally. That's right. We just borrowed three kids and had them race around tricycles on Manny's kitchen table. We'll talk about that, too, if you got them. <laughs> and remember, too, you can always be a part of our debate. You can uh, email us your comments and questions at fourfutureconsiderations at gmail.com. Although when you borrow children these days, it's uh, kind of frowned upon. I know. Hey, their parents can come, too. They can be the, uh, the bookies. Yeah, have you not talked to some of our listeners by email and DM? Like, I'm yeah, sure yeah. a few of them will offer up some kids along the way. <laughs> People message us with the weirdest things. So offering up kids, hey, that might be the next thing. There you go. Instill our son with some work ethic, damn it. <laughs> yeah, get that competitive fire. <laughs> So send us a message on social media if you get a chance. Spam us. We spam you. Podcast FFC on Twitter and Instagram. On Facebook, it's for future considerations. If your kid's available, we're going to start the tricycle table racing league, the TTRL. Get in now. Sponsorships, spots are booking up fast. 
the TTRL. Amazing. <laughs> and uh, also the great compass this weekend. Oh, yeah, so you that guys again. Are you thinking of made up right. sports? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Oh, you just hurt John's feelings right there. You this can, is wow. it hurt right there. What a huge week for John Rashade. Eh? Bruce Boudreaux walks into the building dropping f bombs and press conferences, and the Grey Cup is on Sunday. And it was his birthday <laughs> last it was his weekend. Birthday last Sunday. Yeah, it's a banner week. Just Bruce Boudreaux was the gift that keeps on giving for his birthday, and now he gets to celebrate his birthday week by getting hammered watching <laughs> the Grey Cup. That's right. Actually, I scored pretty big, too. At work, um, we have a thing where um, each Christmas, a local brewery gives us all beer, and I made a couple of trades for some extra beer. So I have, I think, 18 McLean's Ales sitting in my oh, fridge right now. That's you, good, too. Yeah, you're not yeah. You're not even going to make it to the Arkells halftime show. <laughs> <laughs> at, at that rate, I haven't seen John drink in a while, so I don't know if he's going to make it to, to the, the pre-show. Who's the pre-show that they got the book there now? Stephen Lee Olson and Jessia? The kickoff show? What you're saying is there's going to be 16 beers left in the fridge? (laughs) (laughs) In April. (laughs) I like to pace myself, all right? (laughs) Oh, man. Have a beer a week and maintain a nice buzz. And well, uh, the Grey Cup is the theme for our special guest on this episode of the podcast. This guy lives in Hamilton, the host city for the 108th Grey Cup. He has been a broadcast journalist for nearly 30 years, spending the majority of his career at CHML Radio in Hamilton. His resume has included play-by-play broadcaster of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, He is a news and sports reporter and broadcaster, still at Global News Radio 900 CHML as assistant program news and sports director and the host of Good Morning Hamilton. I've known this guy for almost 30 years. It's a privilege to have him on the show. Please welcome to For Future Considerations, Rick Zamprin. Rick, welcome to the show. You're making me feel old, man. (laughs) <laughs> I, I can I can feel the wrinkles developing as you're talking. <laughs> I only only one rule of you being on the show: you cannot tell bad stories about me on the show. Deal? There, there aren't any of those, are there? <laughs> I you can sign off right now then rick if you need to it's okay thanks for coming on listen uh, subscribers have to uh, subscribe to the x-rated version to get the bad stories <laughs> we've for actually joked about considerations. that before <laughs> yeah, after dark how have you been there you go uh fantastic yeah the uh, the long and winding road to where i have uh, been and where i am and where i'm going has been uh, amazing and uh, it's it's fun every day, as as we know. You know the news and sports industry is different every day, uh, and you know special events like the Great Cup coming up this Sunday. You know just adds to the mix and adds to the excitement of covering uh, what we do on a daily basis. So yeah, life is good, having a lot of fun. Before going into the Great Cup stuff, is there a hat that you haven't worn yet at CHML? <sighs> um, technical producer 
would be at this point. Although, you know, I shouldn't say that because we have, <laughs> we, have a tech, we have a technical producer. This is before I moved to mornings. I was working afternoons for a few years. And we, have a we had a technical producer who's, who's still there. But during my shift, he would ask for a washroom break because he would be in the studio for about six hours. And he would, you know, call me through the talkback to say, hey, Rick, can you come in AM Master Control and kind of look over the board while I, you know, do my thing? And I would always joke, like, you know, he had it was it was a it was always a Wednesday, so it had to be you know Taco Tuesday was to blame. But uh, <laughs> you know, I, I would jump in, push a couple buttons. So yeah, I guess I, I guess technically I've done that. So I think really I've done pretty much everything. You know, I've hosted shows, I've been reporting, I've been a content producer, you know, technical producer by default. Um, audio production, not necessarily producing commercials, but producing promos. Um, features, series, documentaries, uh, yeah, everything under the sun. Uh, management, supervisory roles, uh, it's been a slice. Which of those has been your, your most favorite role? And, and on the opposite side, which one uh, are you okay with never having to do again? Without a doubt. Without it, I mean, there's, there's a level of things that I like to do, and then there's play-by-play. -play. And that, you know, that's in a different stratosphere. And, you know, I was a kid eight, nine, ten years old, watching and listening to Bob Cole on Hockey Night in Canada every Saturday night. Me and my brother would be dropped off at my grandparents by my parents, and we would watch, you know, the, the Leafs get mauled by Team X because it was the early <laughs> 80s and they stunk. Not that they're any better these days, but no, I mean, they're, at least they're doing good this season. But I would, instead of wanting to play the game, which I loved playing the game as a kid, I wanted to describe the game to other people. So every time we played road hockey, I was the goaltender. I was a pretty good goalie, but I wanted to be the goaltender because I wanted to see everything. And I would actually call play by play as a kid um, playing goal in road hockey, if you believe it. It's <laughs> kind of strange. I mean, everyone's kind of like, who the hell is this guy? And why is he doing this? But I mean, they got used to it after a while. But when I got the chance to do Ticats play by play um, back in uh, 2007, was year number one, uh, all the way to 2013, I mean, it was. A dream come true. You know, there I was, uh, game number one in the booth at Canadian Stadium, which no longer exists in Winnipeg, calling Ticats and, and Blue Bombers. And lo and behold, all these years later, these two teams are meeting in the Grey Cup for the second consecutive season. But that play-by-play -play stuff is just, it's a high you can never achieve again unless you continue to do it. And, you know, speaking of which, Bob Irving, who just called his last game as the radio play-by-play -play host for sister station CJOB in Winnipeg, did it for 47 freaking years. He did it before <laughs> I was born. He started doing Blue Bombers on the radio and just now called his last game in the Western Final. So it's an incredible drug uh, doing play-by-play, -play, at least for me. I enjoyed it immensely. I would say the worst or at least the least favorable position I've had or job that I've had is probably as a content producer because... Even like a, t a talk show host, you're always thinking. You're, the, the, the porch light is always on. You're always thinking about the next bit or the next interview or who can we get on this particular story. And mentally, sometimes it is raining. As a content producer, I had a host that was extremely demanding in terms of finding new things, finding different things, getting the biggest guests. You know, we used to say, and this is back in the early 2000s, you know, hey, let's aim for the Pope. And let's aim for Osama bin Laden. Those are the two guests we want on the show. So think of that kind of pressure. You know, half-jokingly, we're never going to get these guys, but set the bar high and try to get the biggest and best guests that we can. And uh, 
Not to say that we didn't try, because we did, not on those particular individuals, because their contact info is non-existent, but in, in striving for always trying to get the best guess, that was, that was a grind. I loved it some days, and some days it was like, oh man, like this is really tough, this is really hard. We persevered, we got through it, only did it for about a year and a half, and then moved on to a more permanent gig in the newsroom. But uh, that was the most, I, I would say it was the most challenging thing, as opposed to the least favorable, least likable thing that I did. It was, it was certainly the most challenging. At least you didn't have to clean up after Taco Tuesday. Just press the button. That's uh, that's all right. Yes, yes, that's true. Good point. Although, how long was that break? Was that guy gone for two hours? No, no, that, that, that was the thing. He'd always come back before the bottom hour or the top hour news. And I'm like, wow, this is clockwork. So he, he was very consistent. It was either Taco Tuesday or it was, you know, he was, he was hitting the fiber pretty hard. <laughs> So I think I'm the I'm the only person here I don't think has done any play-by-play whatsoever. I've done color exactly twice. Mm-hmm. How terrified were you before you opened the mic on that first play-by-play job? Oh, to be honest, like the, there was no fear whatsoever. There was really no anxiousness. I don't even think there was butterflies. It was just pure exhilaration, like 100% excitement that this is finally happening. And... Yeah, you know, there wasn't a nervous bone in my body. I was just thinking, like, I finally have... This is my boyhood dream. I'm actually doing this. And someone's paying me to do it, for crying out loud. Like, this is the greatest job on the planet. So, um, you know, the preparation was intense, I'll say that. You know, to put together... Uh, you know, a game board or, or, or a, a play-by-play board for football, at least the way I did it. it, took me two solid hours of just doing it, and I did it all written out by hand. I didn't like the computer programs. It, it allowed me to memorize names, numbers, and stats, uh, you know, college or university uh, teams that they played with, height, weight, all that kind of stuff. It, I retained that information when I actually wrote it down, as opposed to typing it in. Um, Everything was different colors, you know, you had the highlighters and the whole bit, you guys understand the whole, uh, you know, the whole thing there, but yeah, there was no nervousness whatsoever, and, you know, to be honest, it's, it was just 100% adrenaline, really, from that first game. Now, I would say midway through year number one, and certainly the rest of the way, I kind of found my groove, but the first, you know, six games I barely remember, because it was just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And those were tough years for for Hamilton as far as their <laughs> win loss record. Oh, so yeah. for you to uh, have positive things to say out of uh, a three and fifteen season, I think that's that's pretty good. Listen, they went three and fifteen in back to back years. My first two season, they were six and thirty. Charlie Taff was the head coach. He was the CFL coach of the year twice uh, before coming to Hamilton. Uh, they just didn't have players for him to coach. I mean, they were a train wreck, really. They did not have a lot of talent on the field. You know, a couple guys here and there were decent. Uh, they were good. But as a whole, the team was not built to compete on a week-to-week basis. So, you know, their record was uh, you know, indicative of the talent level on the field. Um, they eventually got better. And thankfully, you know, my last game was the 2013 Grey Cup in Regina. And yeah, the Ticats got blown out 45-23 against the Rough Riders. But, and I remember calling that game from the end zone because, you know, TSN had the broadcast rights. They said, okay, you can do the game. And I broadcast from the end zone, which in football is impossible to do because you have no depth perception. You don't know how far a guy has thrown the ball or how long that run is. So 98% of the game, I'm like this looking at the Jumbotron to figure out what the hell's going on, because at least I had, you know, the horizontal view of the game. 
Uh, it was a unique experience. It was very fun to be there, at least for the few first moments. And then we figured out, okay, this is going to be a blowout loss for the Ticats. But uh, yeah, that was, that was a challenging broadcast, but I'm glad I was able to do at least one Grey Cup championship. And that would have been national, right? The Grey Cup game is always broadcast right across the entire country, right? Yeah, exactly. And we were we were kind of lucky because, you know, nowadays when a TV slash radio broadcaster has the Grey Cup, they are extremely reluctant to give it to non, uh, you know, TSN is the game this year. They're extremely reluctant to give it to non-TSN properties, especially if they have... Uh, you know, Bell-owned stations in those communities. So, uh, yeah, that was a luxury back in the day. And I think even the following year, or maybe the year after that, uh, they kind of put the, the kibosh on that. And and if your team was in the big game, too bad. If if you didn't have the broadcast rights, you weren't, you know, able to do the game. Rick Zamperin is our guest here on For Future Considerations, the host of Good Morning Hamilton. Is the city of Hamilton buzzing right now, getting set to host the Grey Cup this week? Absolutely. Weekend? This is a powder keg week. Uh, you know, I host the fifth quarter on CHML as well, our uh, annual um, post-game show after Ticats games. This show has been going on for 50, 60 years, and I have the pleasure of hosting it now. Uh, it is a week in which Ticats fans have waited a long, long time because this is the first time since 1996 that the Ticats and the city of Hamilton have hosted the Grey Cup. Uh, back in 96, it was old Iverwind Stadium. You remember the downtown Eddie Brown catch, mm-hmm. Doug Flutie winning uh, the Grey Cup over Danny McManus and the Edmonton uh, uh, used-to-be Eskimos. Uh, the, the snow on the ground, uh, you know, the sellout crowd. So it's been a long time since the championship game was in Hamilton. The last time the Ticats have won the Grey Cup is 1999. That's a long time ago as well. This is the longest active grout in the Canadian Football League. And the last time the Ticats won a Grey Cup championship at home is 1972. Angelo Mosca's last game in the Canadian Football League. Ange just dying a couple of weeks ago. Very sad moment for Ticats fans in the city here in Hamilton. But that's 49 years ago. Um, it, it's a bit of a rarity for home teams to host and win. You know, it's happened sometimes, but I mean, the last time was 2013 was the Rough Riders. But, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of waiting, of course, the pandemic wiping out last year. So the Ticats and Hamilton couldn't really avenge the 2019 Grey Cup loss to Winnipeg. They've had to wait basically two years. Um, this is also the latest that the Grey Cup is ever going to be played. December the 12th is the latest on the calendar that uh, this championship will be played. So there's a lot of pent up. Uh, hunger and thirst and uh, excitement for this uh, for this championship on Sunday. What kind of festivities are planned around the city? I know it's a whole big week, right? Yeah, because of the pandemic, though, you know, things are a little bit muted this year because, well, we have the Omicron variant. Of course, Delta is really worldwide the, the big contributor to new infections and hospitalizations. So this week is not a typical or traditional Grey Cup kind of festival week. Spirit of Edmonton is still coming to Hamilton. They're setting up shop on Thursday. What they also have, and in a typical Grey Cup week, is you know each team has their own kind of pub or bar or nightclub or hotspot that they'll you know set up shop, and that's where their fans kind of attend. Or you can sample you know the different teams. Spirit of Edmonton, which has been going on since 1974, uh, is you know hosting their Grey Cup festival party, if you will, starting on Thursday up until Saturday. The other teams are kind of getting together with what is being called an East Social and a West Social, and they're doing that on Friday and Saturday. 
again, typically or traditionally would be a whole week's worth of these kind of parties, but they're really, you know, uh, tempering or muting their kind of celebrations. Grey Cup actually arrived Tuesday in Hamilton by helicopter with some uh, Air Force personnel bringing the cup in with uh, Commissioner Randy Ambrosi, so that was certainly exciting. State of the League address is on Friday morning, so that will continue with Commissioner Randy Ambrosi. CFL Awards are on Friday night, so that will still happen. And there's some other events here, but really for the fans, uh, the concentration kind of starts on Thursday, whereas in past years it would start a little bit earlier than that. And so as we mentioned a couple of times, uh, we've got the rematch from 2019 uh, in the, the Grey Cup this time around. Are you surprised that either team has, has made it to this point or, or what's really stood out for both of these teams along their path? Not too, not too surprised at all that Winnipeg and Hamilton are in the Grey Cup. Now, obviously anything can happen any year, but I think these two teams... On paper, what we see, you know, they, they pass the smell test, they pass the eye test. They're they're two pretty good teams. I would say they're the two best teams in the CFL, with maybe some apologies to Saskatchewan. They had a pretty good season as well. But when you look at the personnel, uh, you know, the consistency and continuity of the coaching staff, a lot of the guys have returned from both staffs. Um, you know, having that championship kind of caliber, uh, again, having the talent level, uh, doing well in free agency, either to retain their free agents or sign a couple of new ones. Um, the two probably best home teams this season that may not seem like that record wise, at least for Hamilton's sake, but when they play at home, they play a much different kind of style. Um, but yeah, these are the two teams that should be in the Grey Cup. I think most CFL pundits would have expected these two teams to make it. Winnipeg has certainly dominated from start to finish. Uh, Hamilton has taken a more interesting route to this Grey Cup, you know, not hosting the Eastern Final, having to go to Toronto. Um, you know, having a bunch of injuries and not being a consistent team all year long. But really, when the chips are, are down in the most important games, they've really played their best. So it should be an interesting matchup on Sunday. From that 2019 CFL final where the Bombers won 33-12. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the reminder. How, yeah, how <laughs> different, how different are these teams? Like how much of a factor is that game? It was two years ago. Now, yeah. Right? So, you know, I think Winnipeg two years ago was 11 and 7. They might have been 10 and 8, actually. And Hamilton was 15 and 3 in 2019. And the Ticats have been around for over 150 years. And that 15 win season was the most in franchise history. And they did it with a guy named Dane Evans who came in in week six because Jeremiah Masoli tore his ACL. The Ticats were 5 and 1 at the time. He goes. 10-2 and two down the stretch during the regular season, wins a couple of playoff games and is into the Grey Cup. And they were not heavy favorites, but they were favorites to win that ballgame. Winnipeg ran a rough shot right over the Cats. I mean, absolutely took control of that game right off the skip with a big turnover. Andrew Harris was the first ever Grey Cup most outstanding player and top Canadian. Top to bottom, Winnipeg deserved to win that game. Not much has changed since in terms of personnel coaching, schemes, um, the way they attack or defend against opponents. Uh, the one big change I would say would be the kicker for the Tiger Cats. Uh, Liram Hirolahu has kind of bounced around in the National Football League over the last number of weeks. He's currently, you know, the, the, the safety net, against, uh, I guess, in, uh, in Dallas uh, with Greg Zerline, uh, hit or miss at some weeks. They have Hirolahu as a backup. Liram was in Hamilton in 2019, and he was an amazing kicker. This season, the Ticats have been through, well, now they're on to kicker number two. Uh, but they've kind of gone back and forth between Taylor Bertolette, who's no longer with Hamilton, and Michael Damagala, who's now with the Ticats and starting in that role. But he's missed three extra points this season, including one in the East Final. He's hit the post a few times, uh, which has led to a couple of losses. 
So the one big difference is uh, the kicking position for the Ticats, which in a Grey Cup, you're going to need maybe a field goal or two or a last second uh, attempt for a victory. And if he can get it done, great. If not, uh, it's going to be a big ouch and a big L for the Ticats. Yeah, I think I'd be pretty nervous if uh, you need a 40-yard kick and he's uh, stepping up to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to take that kick. <laughs> yeah. And the and the issue with Tim Hortons Field, and this was kind of the case at Ivor Wynn, not to the same extent, because Ivor Wynn was turned the other way. Ivor Wynn was an east-west kind of field. Tim Hortons Field is a north-south. Um, and they built it that way for FIFA regulations if they ever wanted to host soccer. And lo and behold, January 30th, it's, you know, Canada, the U.S. at Tim Hortons Fields in their World Cup qualifier. But there's also a Canadian Premier League team in Forge FC, who's the two-time uh, champions uh, in the CPL. They just lost, actually, their attempt for a third straight to this past Sunday. Um, but the wind at Tim Hortons Field is way different than it was at Ivor Wynn because it comes down the mountain. If you've ever been to Hamilton, we have a hill, which we call a mountain. It's really a hill. It swoops down the mountain and just rumbles right across the field uh, from goal line to goal line. So you're either going into the wind or you have the wind at your back. And that really plays a huge factor every game day, pretty much. I mean, the the East semifinal against Montreal was the first game this year, if you can believe it, where there was no wind, like no wind at all. And it was great to see because it had snowed that morning. There was snow on the ground and we were fearful that, you know, this is going to be one of those crazy weather days. But apart from the snow, it was perfect playing conditions. You know, it was a little chilly, about one or minus one with the wind chill. Uh, But there wasn't a lot of wind to begin with. So um, this Sunday, the long range forecast calls for a bit of cloud and a high of four, which for December 12th is absolutely outstanding. Ask the Blue Bombers who just played in minus 30 with a wind chill in the Western final. So uh, you know, fingers crossed that that long range forecast kind of holds. Who does that benefit? Well, I don't know. It, it benefits the team, I think, with the better offense because when you have the wind and you can push the ball downfield with that wind at your back and score touchdowns as opposed to field goals. I think that benefits the team with a better offense. I think you can play defense no matter where the wind is going, but that wind will stunt your offense when you're going into the wind. And especially if you don't have an accurate or strong-legged kicker, you know, trying those extra long field goals in that kind of condition is uh, you know, it's hit hit or miss, obviously. I will say this, though. Taylor Bertolette, again, who's no longer with the Ticats, um, a few weeks ago was kicking into the wind and hit a 55-yarder. And the press box went nut bar because no one was expecting this. And the crowd went nuts as well because we thought, all right, he's trying a 55-yarder. There's no way he's going to make it. Oh, my God, he made it. Uh, You know, it was one of those moments where you just kind of, you know, harken back to say, how the heck did that happen? But he got it done. No longer with the team, so it can be done. But that wind is definitely going to be a factor if it is windy on Sunday. You mentioned a few droughts for the Hamilton franchise as far as uh, just Grey Cup wins, Grey Cup wins at home mm-hmm. and such, and, and 99 being their last Grey Cup uh, victory. What do you remember about that uh, game, and, and where does that stand amongst your, your CFL uh, memories? So, uh, truth be told, I was not in Hamilton in 1999. I started at CHML in, uh, in 2000. Uh, 99, I was in Brantford, and uh, I remember... Uh, you know, just watching the game on TV, and it was just one of those holy cow moments because there was a lot of snow on the field, and I think most people were expecting, you know, not a lot of points to be scored, but it was one of the most entertaining Grey Cup championships ever because I think the final was 45-37 
for the Argonauts or the Eskimos. And I remember, you know, a lot of big plays, the Flutie fumble, non-fumble, uh, Jimmy the Jet Cunningham's punt return for a touchdown, Eddie Gizmo Williams' special teams return for a touchdown, um, Danny McManus slinging it in the snow, and just the atmosphere and the kind of the snow globe kind of effect that we all saw. Um, packed house, rabid crowd. Obviously, the Cats weren't playing in it, but Ticats fans and football fans in general, I think, had a great time. That was some of the takeaways from that championship game. Do you have any other uh, CFL memories that stand out? Maybe a highlight from your uh, play-by-play time? Oh, man, there's a ton of them. Uh, you know, I think the East Final in 2013, in which the Ticats beat the Argonauts at, uh, at Iverwind Stadium, to uh, you know, obviously clinch uh, going to Regina, even though they lost that game, that East final, because that was the first time in a long time since '99, really, that the Tie Cats had been back to the big dance. And in every decade since the turn of the 20th century, the Tie Cats had been in a CFL or Grey Cup championship uh, until the early 2000s, where they didn't, because as we just were talking about, they were a bad, a really bad team. You know, back-to-back 3-15s, and 15s, you know, they'd be 4-14, and 5-13, and 13, uh, not getting the job done. So in 2013, finally, in the East Final, they beat the Argos, and I still remember the call, we're going to Regina, because Ticats fans could not believe that finally they were back in the Grey Cup Championship. Again, didn't turn out their way in the end. They've had a couple of other chances as well in 2014, in which they lost against uh, the Calgary Stampeders at BC Play Stadium on the um, you know, the, the special teams penalty that negated a Brandon Banks punt return for a touchdown. And obviously 2019, we all know what happened against the Blue Bombers. We've talked about this a few times on our podcast about the importance of the CFL getting a season in this year after this whole pandemic and, and taking a year off. How would you describe this past season? In the CFL. Yeah, this was vitally important for the Canadian Football League because, you know, canceling last year, just on an economics basis, you know, the league had reportedly lost between 60 and 80 million dollars. And I know millionaires own these teams, but for a lot of them, these, you know, these entities, these teams are really write-offs for their business. You know, they're not making a lot of money off these teams. Uh, Just ask MLSE, who can't attract flies, but still, you know, more often than not, the Edmontons, uh, the BC Lions... Um, you know, Hamilton, uh, Montreal, uh, yeah, they'll have fans in the stands, but, you know, when you look at the salary cap, which is just north of $5 million, you know, you're kind of splitting hairs at the end of the day. There's a little bit of red some seasons, there's a little bit of black some seasons, it kind of all evens out. When you get to host a Grey Cup, obviously that's the big cash cow, but not having a season last year, um, the, the XFL rumors that came in and some of the talks and partnerships that they were talking about with the XFL and what they were offering, you know, really put, I think, a lot of worry in traditional CFL fanatics. You know, they love this league. They don't want to see four down football north of the border. So they were really, you know, fearful that that marriage would happen or that merger would happen. Um, to finally kick off this year after all that happened last year, to have the COVID testing in place, which is not cheap, to have you know the federal government contribute to that process, to not having any major outbreaks. I know Edmonton was really hit hard and they had to reschedule a game or two, but at the end of the day, you know most players were safe and adhered to the rules. And I think this was vitally important for this season to happen and for this championship to happen as well. Just to touch on the XFL for a second, um, do you have any sense of how close that actually came to being a reality? I don't think it was very close at all. You know, Randy Ambrosi said they're they're uh, you know holding exploratory talks. They want to talk about you know the future of football, growing the game, which is all great. But I think at the end of the day, let's not forget that the XFL 
has had two go rounds. You know, year number one back in 2001 didn't work with Vince McMahon, and obviously there was a you know some contributing factors to that. But they tried it again as a spring league after the Super Bowl, and it just didn't work. Now, obviously the pandemic you know played a part in that, but it wasn't like their TV ratings were monstrous um, after Week One, which they did very well, but. After week one and everyone saw what the XFL had to offer, they said, okay, it's kind of like the last time minus the scantily clad cheerleaders. Um, so at the end of the day, I think football fans want to see great football. And they can get that with college football. And certainly they can get it with the NFL. And they can get it with the CFL. But the XFL, you know, whenever you're playing another four-down league, if you don't have that tradition like college football does, or certainly the NFL does, you're fighting an uphill battle because you're playing the same kind of game. The CFL at least offers some uniqueness to that. So I know the ESPN ratings haven't been, you know, gargantuan in terms of U.S. viewers, but at least there has been some interest. So I think the talks were exploratory. I think they wanted to see where each other was at and what they could offer each other. Uh, and I know there was a lot of speculation on, you know, maybe the two leagues would play in silos and then they would face off against each other in a two-game total point championship series in which one game would be four-down rules and the other would be three-down rules. But I think at the end of the day, until the XFL finally puts its flag in the ground again and says, all right, we're back, I don't see these talks or these merger kind of dreams going anywhere. And and truth be told, you know, that, that'd be a sad day if there was any sort of four-down football that wipes out the Canadian Football League. It would be no different, really. One, it, it, it'll, It's going to happen eventually, whether it's in five years or 10 years or 20 years, when Toronto finally lands an NFL team. It'll be the death of the Argos. And I mean, they're hanging by a, balance, by, by a thread anyways. And it'll probably be the end of the CFL. I can't envision a league without Toronto, which would impact Hamilton, which would impact Ottawa and Montreal. I can't envision a Western-based league surviving very long in, in Canada. And that would be a sad day. That would be. That would be. Uh, Rick Zamprin's been our guest. I know we've got to let him go here, but I want you to answer these questions. Okay. One for each team. The Ticats win if... The Blue Bombers win if. <sighs> I'll start with the Bombers. Um, and there's a variety of answers that I could have for both of these teams. But I think the Bombers win if they, and this is funny to say because they had six turnovers <laughs> on the weekend and still won. But I think the Bombers win if they don't uh, lose the turnover battle. So if they turn over the bar, ball once, they got to have at least a couple the other way. Because... Turnovers not only lead to a change of possession, but they lead to a change in momentum. And especially in a Grey Cup final, you want to keep the momentum for as long as you can. And that momentum can be, you know, grabbed by a big play, uh, a big catch, obviously a big score or, or a score at a unique time or a key time in the game. But losing the ball, losing possession, losing that momentum can really change the game because it's hard to get it back sometimes. When you turn the ball over at a key moment or on a, you know, a specific area of the field, whether it's a goal line or in the red zone or whatever the case is, and that other team gets the ball and then scores, it's hard to get that momentum back. So Winnipeg wins if they win the turnover battle. The Ticats win if their offense plays close to a 60-minute ball game because they didn't show up in the first half against the Argos. They didn't show up against the first half against the Montreal Alouettes. They still won those two games, thankfully, because their defense was unbelievable. But their offense, I think, has to play a lot better against Winnipeg because Winnipeg is a different animal compared to Toronto and Montreal. So the Ticats' offense has to be consistent and productive from kickoff. Hey, Rick, what's the best after-midnight Manny Pava story you have? <laughs> wow. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I don't know if there's a clean one out there, let me tell you. I, I will say that Manny offered me some great advice many times, uh, work-related and not. So I will treasure those moments and keep them close to my heart. <laughs> That's a terrible answer. <laughs> I, I think what I'm saying is I don't remember because there might have been alcohol involved in many cases. So I'll have to bring him to my grave subconsciously. <laughs> we did projects together. We called games together. Yes. Um, d- you, we went to Buffalo together, right? Wasn't that the boys' trip to go see the Sabres in the house? I remember in that. Buffalo? Yep. Yeah, yeah, good times, good times. Yeah, I don't remember much from that trip either. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I remember going, and that's about it. And yeah, so, right? Somehow we got home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say things. a border always complicates that a little bit. But. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how we managed that, but I don't know. not yeah. then, not then. <laughs> are you doing the fifth quarter this weekend? What are you doing for the great? Yes. Yeah, so this weekend, so we don't. We're not able to broadcast the game. We we wanted to, but it wasn't offered to us. They're they're doing it in uh, you know the two other Hamilton stations. But yes, the fifth quarter will be live after the game. It will be another extended version. We've extended them throughout the playoffs. And you know my thinking is win or lose, fans will want to vent either way. They'll either want to celebrate uh, in a way uh, a championship for the first time in in a long time, or you know they'll want to cry in their beer uh, or their empty beer bottles and uh, you know whine about what could have been and thinking about. You know, the changes that have to be made because that will naturally come, I'm sure. But uh, either way, it'll be fun. It always is. Uh, The callers in Hamilton, uh, they're passionate. Um, uh, You know, case in point, we had, after the East Final, we had a guy call. He he had turned 76 on Sunday. Uh, His name's Robert. And he called in and he was describing, you know, the the games from years gone by. And then he just broke into the Ticats fight song. And it was a, an amazing moment. Yeah. So I, I, you know, we recorded it as we do every show. And I said, Robert, every time the Tie Cats win from here on in, including this coming Sunday, we're going to play the fight song to celebrate a Tie Cats win and honor, you know, your explosion of emotion. So that was that was great to hear. That's fantastic. John is a huge CFL guy, and he always says the Grey Cup is better than the Super Bowl. Yeah, I love you I love the passing in the CFL. That's my thing. I love, and I find that the momentum swings are better in the CFL. It's just a faster paced game. There's less time in between plays. Yeah, yeah. I think the Grey Cup is better than the Super Bowl. I think the Super Bowl is the most overhyped event on the planet. It's the most watched event on the planet, and certainly we've had some amazing Super Bowl games in years gone by. The difference is, I think, the Canadiana that comes with the Grey Cup. Uh, but it's also that there's not that sterile environment. You know, you go watch a Super Bowl in Miami or in New Orleans or at SoFi Stadium in, in L.A. I know they're going to get the game and they're all amazing places. But the fan base is a little too corporate. There's not as many fans of those two teams in the stadium. You get a lot of just NFL fans or fans from other teams. For the Grey Cup, I think it, there's there's a lot more fans that are that are there from those two teams. Uh, you know, case in point, Winnipeg beats Saskatchewan. Everyone from Saskatchewan who has a ticket is going to say, hey, Winnipeg or hey, Hamilton, do you want my tickets? You know, some might come, but I think a lot will say, hey, I want to unload these because, you know, you're going to get more out of it anyway. So uh, and maybe they don't want to make the trip because a lot of people I've known, I've known guys that have gone to 30, 40, 50 Grey Cups in a row. And this is their annual trip. Like they don't go to the 
Caribbean. They don't go to a European vacation. They're not taking a cruise. They're going to the Grey Cup because that's what they want to do uh, because they love this league and, you know, the team's in it uh, so much. So it's a, it's, it's a pretty interesting dynamic at the Grey Cup in comparison to the Super Bowl. There's a lot more, I think, hardcore fans of those two teams are competing. Is the train still a thing? The the big thing used to be you get on the Via train and take it to the Grey Cup. Is that still happening? Or Yeah, I mean, not necessarily so because there's such a distance between, I think, at least the two combatants. Certainly when it's Toronto and Hamilton, uh, everyone's jumping on the go. If it's uh, Toronto, Ottawa, yeah, Via Rail is the best way to get there. We used to take Via on road trips for the Ticats when we went to Montreal and Ottawa. And, you know... The first couple times, it's it's exciting, but after hour four on the train, trip number three of that season is like, could we not have just flown? I mean, it's an hour flight, right? It's much more, much much quicker. We could do the thing, but you know, they had a deal. The league had a deal with VN. The Ticats did as well. That you know, you hop on the train. You know, it was an it was a a contra kind of deal. Via gets something, Ticats gets something, the league gets something, and it, it kind of worked out. But uh, yeah, I mean, everyone hops on the go when it's Argos and, and Ticats. It's a great way to get to and from the stadium. You know, designated drivers are, are non-existent until you get back to your own you know parking lot and car. Maybe you've sobered up by then. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's uh, for the Grey Cup. Usually, most people are flying in. It'll be packed this weekend, sellout? Sellout, yeah. And the interesting thing is that, you know, the original plan was to house about 34, 35,000 people with some temporary stands. But they figured with the pandemic, they're not throwing a lot of resources into this game. You know, I mentioned the muted kind of Great Cup Festival earlier on. So uh, um, capacity at Tim Hortons Field is 24,000 and change. And the change comes in, they call them social zones. So each end zone kind of has an empty kind of space where they have, you know, bars and kind of that set up lounge areas for fans. It's kind of standing room only type thing. And so those tickets are being sold. And I think they only offered about a thousand, you know, of those of those seats, if you will. Um, so capacity will be about twenty-five in the twenty twenty-three Grey Cup, which Hamilton has also acquired. And the CFL did this because they said, "Listen, you're not going to capitalize financially as you would a normal Grey Cup year with this twenty twenty-one version. We'll offer you the twenty twenty-three version, and you can, you know." go lights out with temporary seats and a whole festival and the whole bit. Uh, but this year, capacity will be at 24, sold out. They got, I think, a handful of these social zone tickets available. So it'll be 70-30 Thai Cats fans? or Yeah, 70-30, 80-20. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm sh- you know, I'm sure a lot of Winnipeg fans have purchased their tickets uh, a long time ago, knowing that a, they're the defending champs. B, they know their team is the best, at least in terms of the talent level. Uh, so I think they were quite confident, especially when they burst out to like a 10-1 and record or whatever it was. You know, in a 14-game season, they had their playoff spot locked up weeks in advance of anybody else. So I'm sure they went on, you know, tycats.ca or ticketmaster.ca, grabbed their tickets and, and are going to be at the game. So yeah, 70 30 is probably pretty accurate, I would think. Oh, looking forward to the game Sunday. Looking forward to listening to Robert on the fifth quarter too, Rick. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Yeah, anytime. A lot of fun. And uh, maybe next time we'll talk a little Maple Leafs or Habs if we have to. Uh, yeah, we'll get you on. We'll talk hockey. <laughs> Mostly Toronto, probably. All right. I don't want to talk about my Habs again. What's to talk about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, this is a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on, guys. That's Rick Zamper. And our thanks again to Rick, the host of Good Morning Hamilton and the Fifth Quarter on Global News Radio 900 CHML for talking about the Grey Cup Championship in his city, the city of Hamilton. Do they still call it the Hammer? We should have asked yeah, him people that. People I know do. Yeah. Steel Town, right? Isn't it Steel yeah, Town? It they used do to that be Steel too. Town. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Yep. Should have asked them. So, 
Manny, I don't know how you pay your mortgage with all the money you got to be sending these guests. That they won't give up shit. This is, uh, I'm getting really annoyed now. It was funny the first couple of times. But I'm t- we're talking about a guy that's been your buddy for 30 years, won't sell you out. What kind of friends you got? Listen, like he said, I'd given him great advice, both personal and professional. God, I'd sell Manny out for a case of beer. I don't know. You could. Matt would sell me out for a case of Slim Jims. Like, <laughs> like, and has. Yes, gas station beef jerky. He would yeah, sell yeah. me out. He would sell me out. I, I don't know. I don't know who you're looking for, but his name may rhyme with Panny Mava. <laughs> and people have called me that. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. When they called. When I Along with Lance. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that. Yes. For, I don't know. For some reason, I've heard that one a lot. Yeah. You're, <laughs> take it easy. There's more beef jerky here. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Listen, great guy. We do go way back to our college days, and we did have some fun in college, but uh, he's a good guy. You just... You're just going to have to give him some of John's McLean ales to try to get him to open up a little bit more about me. Hey, so it's minus four. Bombers, the odds heading into the Grey Cup. Yeah. You know my boy is going to take over, right? There's no doubt how the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are going to win. There's no doubt about it. Led by Zach Caleros. Right? My boy, Rashid Bailey. He's going to dominate. I'm taking the Bombers. Minus four, boys. Who you got? Yeah, I got the Bombers as well. a boy, John. Sorry, Rick. I'm sorry. but We yeah, have the, the nicest guy on the podcast. <laughs> I know. <laughs> You know, oh, John was just in heaven. You should have seen it smiling from ear to ear the whole time. We're talking Grey Cup. We're talking the history of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. He's naming names. Rick is. I, they could be my next door neighbor. I don't know who he's talking about. John knows all these people. Hey, thanks, Rick. Thanks so much for coming on. This is great. I got Winnipeg uh, winning by minus four. Uh, <laughs> I'm taking the Steel City of Hamilton. Because uh, next time we go to a, a, a game, you could go on StubHub right now or Ticketmaster and get uh, great cup tickets for like 250 bucks if you really wanted to. The next time we go to Hamilton, they're going to let me in and you guys can watch it from the parking lot. <laughs> we'll find cheaper tickets and get in. Don't you worry about it. <laughs> Kickoff is 6 o'clock Sunday. Should be good. And also, if, you, uh, if you're if you into it too, TSN does a lot of really good uh, pregame stuff as well. Uh, they do it up big, kind of almost like a Super Bowl, but for Canada. So, uh, yeah, definitely. Big Sunday afternoon. So, yep. this is what you're doing, John. You're, you're plopping yourself down with your dog, Bruno, 1 o'clock till the game ends at 10 o'clock. Is this what you're doing? Yeah, that's right. I think at 1 o'clock, it's the history of the coin toss. I'll enjoy that. And... Uh, you know, you don't have any all the pregame. You don't have any appointments to watch uh, Selling Sunsets or um, any uh, any Christmas movie made for TV Christmas movies on Netflix or anything that are going to interfere with this. <laughs> uh, well, see, Winnipeg's in it, and my wife is from Winnipeg, so I think I can convince her. Oh, so no, ninety day fiance extravaganza is going to be on the TV this weekend. 
Um, well, we do have Discovery Plus, and I think they put it up earlier in the day, so he's, we might do 90 Day Fiance in the morning. He's in the middle He's in the yeah, middle no. of, of negotiating. Jill's giving him right now, you can watch the first half, but the <laughs> He's going to pregame the Grey Cup with 90 Day the, Fiance. This is fantastic. After the Arkells, we've got to watch our favorite baking show. <laughs> <laughs> I actually knew someone who used to do that. She was my friend, but her boyfriend, she wouldn't let him. She'd be like, he watched two and a half hours of football. That's enough. And I'm like, you don't shut off a football game in the middle. And she'd make him turn it off at halftime. Wow. <laughs> she should be going to jail for that. Like, Yeah, she should. You don't do that. <laughs> you don't do that. Uh, well, if you can't watch the whole thing, if you're in the Rashad house and you can't watch the whole thing, we'll have clips right away as soon as we can on social media, podcast, FFC on Twitter and Instagram for future considerations on Facebook. And remember, if you want to join the conversation and uh, talk all about the game, you can email us um, at fourfutureconsiderations at gmail.com. You can also send us questions and topic suggestions as well. Yeah, we want to thank our guest again, Rick Zamprin from 900 CHML Global News Radio. We want to thank our sponsors too, uh, London Awnings, Quality That Shows. And Shane Topolovic of Next Level Athletics, specializing in sport trading and nutrition. That's right. Thank you, everybody, for listening again, and we will talk to you next week on Four Future Considerations. That was a disgraceful performance, in my opinion. In my opinion, that sucked. Their mentality's awful. Their attitude's awful. It's been their M.O. for the last three years. Tonight I saw and heard one of the most disgusting, rudest, sick demonstrations in my entire career. Probably the worst. It's garbage! And the editor that let it come out is garbage. You're still here? It's over. Go home.